Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, We Believe in the Scriptures. Today on Words of Grace, we're continuing our study on the articles of faith as commonly held by Primitive Baptist Churches and Churches of History, Baptist Churches of History, in the United States of America. As we've emphasized recently, all churches are founded on principles that they consider to be so important that they're non-negotiable, that dissent or disagreement with these principles is a hindrance to fellowship and membership. This is just the reality of things. If you're in a historic Baptist church, these will be historic Baptist convictions. If you're in a Presbyterian church, there'll be Presbyterian convictions. And the same could be said for any denomination, for Methodist churches, for Episcopalian churches, for Charismatic churches, for Catholic churches. If you're in a church, it's going to have core values, doctrines and ideas, and ecclesiology that are official and endorsed and embraced by that church that you generally have to either agree with or submit to in order to be a member in good standing. In our series on the Articles of Faith that we're presently conducting, we're using as our source material the statements of faith of two historic churches in the state of Alabama. The first is Flint River Primitive Baptist Church. Flint River was founded in 1808 and is recognized as the oldest Baptist church in the state of Alabama. It was originally the Flint River Church of Christ of the Baptist Faith and Order, or something like that. And the other church that we're using the Articles of Faith from is the Ebenezer Primitive Baptist Church, located in Westover, Alabama, which is down in Shelby County. And that church dates back to 1868. So we're considering the beliefs of a couple of historic churches in Alabama, one dating to 1808, the other dating to 1868. Now, I'm using these two articles of faith, these two statements of faith, because they represent a couple of strands of these documents that I've seen in a majority of our churches, primitive Baptist churches, and historic Baptist churches in the United States. Churches that are from the early 1800s or before generally have articles of faith that are identical to ours. The wording that you find in the 1868 churches' articles of faith are common in churches constituted from that era forward. So I'm using these just to show a little bit of variation in the two. They do not disagree in principle. They do not disagree in doctrine, but the wording in some places is a little different. So we're considering both just for the sake of being thorough, as we consider this as a historic study as well as a biblical focus. Now, as we said that these are commonly held by churches that are historic in the United States, I'll give you an example of that. With Flint River, we acquired these from the Elk River Association, which predated us. And as I said last week, the churches of the Elk River Association come from, as grandchildren churches, the Sandy Creek Church of North Carolina. That is also a very historic Baptist church and a mother church to many churches throughout the Southeast. It's the oldest Baptist church in the state of North Carolina. I've had the privilege of visiting that facility 
and meeting the current pastor of Sandy Creek Primitive Baptist Church. I've been inside the old log cabin there and wandered around it, and it was a very interesting thing. Our Articles of Faith were also held by our association, which is the Flint River Association of Primitive Baptists, the oldest Baptist association in the state of Alabama. We were constituted in the 18-teens. At one point, there were two other historic Baptist churches in our area that belonged to that association and were founded upon these same principles as found in these Articles of Faith. The first is First Baptist Church in Huntsville, which is the second oldest Baptist church in the state of Alabama, very historic congregation, but also the St. Bartley's Primitive Baptist Church, which is the oldest African-American Baptist church in the state of Alabama, and a mother church to many African-American Baptist churches in our state of Alabama. Now, being in the same association, Flint River, First Baptist, and St. Bartley's, we, three churches, had the same Articles of Faith at our founding, and I find that to be really interesting, and if you're a lover of history, I hope this sort of thing, as we undertake this series, is intriguing and interesting to you. The article that we want to consider today is Article 2 in both Flint River and Ebenezer's Statement of Faith. Again, you'll find this in Baptist churches throughout American history. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God and the only rule for faith and practice. And interestingly enough, these are identical. There's no variation in the wording here. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. Now, I should add that a note of endorsement for the King James translation is common in modern Primitive Baptist articles of faith, as they are in some other denominations as well. This has been added in more recent times to clarify which translation we recommend for those who speak English. And that sort of thing can vary. But the KJV, the King James Version, is pretty much the exclusive translation that you find in Primitive Baptist pulpits, and we'll say more on that before we bring our broadcast today to a close. Now, what we want to do is go through this statement. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. We want to go through this a statement at a time and unpack this. What are we saying when we tell people? that we believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. First of all, the scriptures. We believe the scriptures. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice, but just focus on that statement. We believe the scriptures. What do we mean by scriptures? The word scripture is a word for the Bible, the Word of God, And this word comes from a word, and the etymology of this word in English, which meant simply writings, the writings. So when we say the scriptures, we mean the writings, and we find this word, variations of this word, words that are cognate with this, such as scribe or scribble, inscription. We have other words that we commonly say that are cognate with the root of this word, in its etymology, but originally the word scripture just meant something that is written. Now, today we say the scriptures, and everyone knows that we have reference to the word of God. And so what used to mean simply writings now means the writings, what God has inspired. Interestingly enough, and similarly, the word Bible comes from a word simply meaning book. In fact, in the Greek language today, 
Toviblio means the book, and it could have reference to any book. But the Bible is the book, just like that word scripture, meaning writing, has come to mean the writings, the word of God. The word Bible simply comes from a word meaning book, but now that word Bible means the book. It's interesting to know that God's word, the Bible, has taken exclusive ownership of these words that were common words for writing or for book. It's taken exclusive ownership of these words in our everyday usage because this is the Word of God. It's the book above all books. It's the single most despised book in human history, the single most rejected book in human history, the book that has been misused more than any other book in human history, a book that has been attacked more than any other book in human history, the most desired book in human history, the most bought book in human history, the most read book in human history, and as we think about books of antiquity, there is no book that has as much historical attestation than the Word of God in the entirety of human history. There are several several ancient works that we have. It might be the Iliad. It might be other writings, writings of the philosophers, writings of ancient cultures that we've come across either in stone or in metal or actually in parchments here or there. But no book this old has as much historic attestation as the Bible. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of copies and fragments dating all through the ages of this book exist, simply giving witness to the fact that this is the Word of God. Think about this. If a book was not of God, if a book was not promised to be preserved by God the way the Bible is, as much as it has been attacked in human history, it wouldn't be here today. There are plenty of writings throughout human history that have been attacked and barely made it, if they made it at all. If you look at the times of great persecution of the church, there are writings that we simply don't have. There are stories of congregations that we do not have because they were burned, they were destroyed. Even in periods of persecution from state Christian churches upon free churches, there were writings that they had written, these persecuted free churches that were destroyed, that do not exist anymore in the world. And it would be awesome to have them, but we don't because God didn't preserve them. But God has preserved his word, and the fact that it is so attacked through human history, and yet it remains today as the most plentiful writing that the world has ever known, it ought to just paint a giant exclamation point over this concept that this is the Word of God as we think about it. This has to be the Word of God. There's no way this isn't the Word of God because of its usage, its historiosity, its teaching, its preservation in the face of persecution— Nations of the world have sought to stamp out this Word of God in the movement and the church and the following of Christ, and they have been completely unsuccessful. Christianity went around the globe. People have worshipped Jesus among every nation, kindred, and tongue, and that's just a divine stamp of authenticity upon God's Word. So we believe the Scriptures, and that word Scriptures has reference to the Word of God. It came from a word simply meaning writing, but now it has reference to the writings, above all other writings. We believe the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God. The Old and New Testaments. The terms Old and New Testament 
and this is elementary, but some people who are listening today might not know this. Some of you might have gone to church a lot in your life and may not know this, so we're going to spend some time here. The words Old and New Testament refer to, they're the titles of the two sections of our Bible. The Bible itself is a book made of 66 other books. It's really a collection of works. It's a library, 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. The Old Testament is noticeably larger than the New Testament. Each major block, the Old Testament and the New Testament, contain multiple sections themselves. Now, just to speak a little bit as a disclaimer and a word of clarification, ancient fictions about Adam and Eve are not Scripture. There are all kinds of fictitious writings about the characters of the Bible, but those writings are not Scripture. Nor is the Apocrypha Scripture. The Apocrypha is useful to us. It contains history of the nation of Israel between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the Apocrypha is not considered Scripture because it was not considered Scripture by the Jews. Remember that there was no prophet sent to Israel between the time of Malachi and Ezra and the time of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the first prophet that God had sent to Israel in over 400 years. There were writings that were written in those 400 years of silence. They're helpful, they're historic, but they're not Scripture. And because they're not Scripture, as we'll see in a moment, they're not the rule of faith and practice. They're not authoritative in the sense that they tell us what doctrine we are to believe. Now, I said that the Apocrypha was not considered Scripture by the Jews. It was also not considered Scripture by most Christians throughout church history until after the Reformation. And in Protestant churches today, it's not considered Scripture. In Baptist churches today, it's not considered Scripture. It's the official position of the Roman Catholic Church that it is Scripture, but this was something that wasn't decreed until, again, after the Reformation. And their phrase for it is actually deuterocanonical, which means second canon. Now, the glaring problem with that, it can't be second canon if it's not in the New Covenant, because the New Covenant is the second canonical period. It would have to be in the Old Covenant era, because Christ had not come yet. It would still be the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, But it can't be that, because the nation of Israel at the time didn't receive it as such at the time. And what we have is the Old Covenant, or the Old Testament, we receive from them. So there's no way that the Apocrypha is to be or should be considered as the Word of God. We can learn history from it, but it's not God's Word. In the Old Testament, as far as the sections of the Old Testament, you have the Pentateuch, which is many times referred to as the Law, the first five books of the Bible, Penta there meaning five, the Pentateuch. These are the works of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You have the other writings of history, like the book of Joshua and Judges, and First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. They give us the history of the nation of Israel leading us up to the time of Christ. All of that history was to bring us to Christ. It is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. You have the writings, the poetry, and the works of Solomon that have to do with wisdom and the vanity of this life, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, 
in the books of poetry, you have Job, and you have the Psalms, and you have Song of Solomon. And then you have the books of the prophets, and you have in the prophets, major prophets, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And then you have what we call the minor prophets. They were not minor in their ministries. They were not minor in their importance. They're not minor in the sense that it's less authoritative than the larger prophetic works. It's just that they wrote less. In 2021, we conducted a series here at Flint River on the minor prophets, and I gave a one message overview of most of those books. I think we spent a little more time in Zechariah because Zechariah is just a good book. We didn't want to shortchange anybody going through that beautiful prophetic work by Zechariah, but you have the prophets. And so the Old Testament's commonly divided up into these categories, the law, the history, the poetry, and the prophets. Sometimes in the Gospels, the Old Testament is referred to as Moses, referring to the Pentateuch, because Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. And the Old Testament is referred to as the Law and the Prophets. Now, by the way, it's also referred to as the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews, just as the New Testament is referred to as the New Covenant in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. Now, when these were written, they were given by God to the prophets and received in real time as the Word of God. That's an important thing for us to consider, that as the Old Testament was written, and I would argue that as the New Testament was written as well, these didn't sit on a shelf somewhere, and then hundreds of years later, some guys randomly decided to think of these as the Word of God. They were authoritative They were accepted. They were considered the Scripture from the moment that they were given through these men by God. In the New Testament, we have the Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these give us the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have his birth story. We have his ministry. We have his death, his burial, his resurrection, the Great Commission, and then his ascension up into glory revealed to us in these four Gospels, and also the first chapter of the book of Acts. Acts is a history of the apostles' journeys and the blossoming of the early church in the world, the story of the early church and the ministries of some of the apostles. Acts is written by Luke, who's the same author of the book of Luke. It's written to the same Theophilus that the Gospel of Luke is written to, and where Acts picks up is basically where the Gospel of Luke leaves off. And then you have the epistles written by Paul and Peter and James and Jude and the Apostle John. You have these writings where these apostolic figures wrote to combat issues in certain churches or regions or maybe to an entire nation of people like the epistle to the Hebrews. You have these epistles that are given sometimes specifically, sometimes more generally, And then lastly, you have the book of Revelation, sometimes referred to as the Apocalypse. That's one of the historic titles of it in church history, and it's very prophetic. It deals with things that have passed, things that are happening, and things that shall happen in the world. That basically gives you the sections of our New Testaments. I should be very clear that this word testament is used in a similar way to the way we use it when we say will and testament. And that is to make it a synonym with the word covenant. So the Old Testament is the Old Covenant, and the Old Covenant is the Old Testament. That's why we call it that. The New Testament is the New Covenant. The New Covenant 
is the New Testament. Sometimes people don't understand what those words actually mean. And I would insist through scriptural authority that no other covenants or testaments will be given than the old and the new. If someone claims to bring another testament of Jesus Christ, they're mistaken. And the book of Hebrews would have a lot to say about taking away the old covenant and the permanent installation of the new testament or the new covenant, something that will be in effect in the world as a worship covenant until the Lord Jesus Christ himself returns. And so the phrase Old Testament and New Testament are not just words that were conjured up to mean the old part of the book and the new part of the book, and maybe we can have another part of the book. No, these have reference to the worship covenants that God has given. And again, the book of Hebrews speaks very definitively about this concept. And so we believe in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament. But what is it that we believe about the scriptures of the Old and New Testament? That it's the Word of God. The scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God. It's very easy to see in real time while reading the Old Testament that God is speaking to these men. They receive these messages in visions, in dreams, in direct audible statements from God himself as his voice thunders from heaven. They receive messages from angels, etc. They were called seers and prophets, and sometimes they simply spoke by inspiration as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. God blessed them to speak through the Holy Spirit or to write through the Holy Spirit. And the New Testament is the same. These men wrote as God had given them inspiration. Let's look to the scriptures about this. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews 1.1 says, God, who at sundry times and diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God did what in old times by the prophets? He spoke. God spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Who is speaking through the prophets? God is speaking. When you read the prophecies of the prophets, that was what God was saying to people, to the fathers, to their forefathers in the nation of Israel. This is written to Hebrews, and so what the writer, whom I believe to be the Apostle Paul, is saying is that in various ways throughout the Old Testament, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets, but now he's spoken unto us by his dear Son, who is God incarnate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That phrase or clause, inspiration of God, comes from a Greek word that is a combination of the word God and the word breathe. And so literally, inspiration of God means God breathed. All Scripture is God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And so Scripture is given by inspiration, just as I am breathing the words that I am saying to this microphone to be broadcast around this region today. As I am speaking, so has the Word of God been spoken of God. It is God-breathed, even though it came through the hands of men. Even though their personalities and their vocabulary and their writing style shaded the color of the ink, as it were, that went into the Scriptures, what was written was written by inspiration. God breathed the Word of God. And what's so neat about that, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Apostle Peter 
referred to the writings of the Apostle Paul as Scripture. Paul, at one point, quotes the book of Luke and calls it Scripture. And so the New Testament is self-validating in that sense. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, listen, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We have the Bible because holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost moved holy men to speak or write what it is that they have spoken or they have written. And it's interesting, and I'll point this out there just for extra for you today. The Word of God testifies of itself. You read the 119th Psalm. It speaks about the blessing of walking in the way. It speaks about His law. It speaks about His testimony. It speaks about His Word. It speaks about His statutes. The 119th Psalm is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, and the subject is largely the Word of God, the statutes that God has given. It extols God's Word repeatedly. Now, the last statement in our statement of faith, it's the only rule of faith and practice. It's kind of funny. Someone scolded me recently for saying that submission to any church's articles of faith is necessary for membership, which is true. You are agreeing to not endorse or teach anything contrary to that church's statement of faith when you become a member. You submit to that and the rules of decorum and their church covenant. This is Ecclesiology 101. But this person told me that Scripture was our only rule of faith and practice, and he wasn't aware he was actually quoting, wait for it, the Articles of Faith. The Articles of Faith are what we're quoting when we say the Scriptures are the only rule for faith and practice. The articles that I'm going through with you are not Scripture. They're what we believe Scripture to teach and have accepted and will not negotiate about. We don't tolerate dissent on this. We believe, we believe that the Scriptures teach that the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the only rule for faith and practice. And as a congregation, as a church body, we are built upon this as one of our founding doctrines. Now, we observe the regulative principle in our church, and this means that we do only what is commanded or depicted in the Bible in our churches in worship. And we also believe that we should base our ecclesiology on the Bible— All doctrine, all practice, all matters of life are to be derived from the sacred scripture. This is our rule. We only do what we find in the Word of God, not what councils of men have commanded us to do, not what the culture around us would have us to do, but we derive our doctrine and practice from the Word of God. That doesn't mean there's not a place for history. We need to learn history. We need to be versed in it. We need to save ourselves from the heresies of church history past through the study of church history, the conclusions that were come to about the Word of God. But the Word of God is our only rule of faith and practice. I'll add a note in closing. God gave us His Word, and He also promised to preserve His Word. As Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but His Word shall not pass away. That's a divine promise to preserve His Word. We believe that the Word of God was kept by God's singular care and providence and was preserved pure and authentic throughout the ages until this very present day. This is why we reject the critical text and use the Masoretic Hebrew, 
and the Greek Textus Receptus, or Receive Text. And as such, it's why we commend to you the King James Version, the King James Translation, because it comes from those manuscripts, whereas contemporary English translations come from the critical text. And because of that, they lack the longer ending of Mark, or they make you doubt that that's the Word of God. They omit 1 John 5, 7, and there are so many variants that diminish the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the critical text. Because of this, because we believe in the received text, that God kept His Word by a singular care and providence, He preserved it for us to use. We reject the critical text and the constant reconstruction mentality of modern Christianity, not wanting to rediscover the Word of God as if it's been lost, but embrace it and believe it as something that's been preserved. We commend to you, therefore, the King James translation as the masterpiece translation into our modern English language. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write. Let me know that you've received today's broadcast and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.